We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, this is George Kittle, and you're listening to Candlestick Chronicles. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Candlestick Chronicles, the 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Network. My name is Chris Biederman. I cover the 49ers for the Sacramento Bee. With me, you know him very well. It's Kyle Madsen, the content czar, the Twitter czar, uh, over at Niners Wire of the USA Today Sports Media Group. Kyle, has it cooled down in Sacramento like it has in San Jose? Because I've never been more happy to wake up to 60-degree weather. Yeah, it's a balming 75 right now, which uh, this time of the day, the last few days, it's been like in the mid-80s. And the high is only 92 today, so I'll take that for sure. That is just luxurious. I'm thrilled. My body is still upset with me. Anytime the weather changes drastically like it did this last week, I come down with a cold. So if I sound a little congested or a little bit raspy, I apologize. Uh, But we are coming off the end of the 49ers offseason program. Uh, Now we're recording this on Thursday. The team is going to have a a, an event for friends and family instead of a practice at, at the team's facility. They're going to be bounce houses. Uh, DJ Jones' dad is is going to barbecue for, for about 200 people, Kyle Shanahan said. So it's kind of a team bonding experience instead of that third day of minicamp practice. But I was on the practice field the last couple of days. We, we previewed minicamp in the podcast we recorded earlier this week. So if you didn't catch that, go back and listen. Um, but we're going to review some of the topics that, that, we, that we previewed in that episode. And we're going to talk about some developments on the practice field from these last couple days. Uh, I think most notably, which sort of came as a surprise at the end of practice yesterday, Wednesday, was was the fact that Jimmy Garoppolo was under center for full team 11 on 11, uh, two minute drills. And we were all kind of shocked. Like we see Garoppolo under center and they're actually pass rushers. And we're like, what's happening? Because Kyle Shanahan had said Tuesday that Garoppolo wouldn't be cleared to go against 
pass rushers until training camp, which is obviously like six weeks like away. Literally, literally 24 hours ago, he was like, yeah, he's not going to be cleared to do 11 on 11s. Yeah. So, so and then and then he was doing it. And then he was doing it. So like I I, I look at I was like I'm not the only one seeing this right. Like am I hallucinating? Like Jimmy Garoppolo is they're, like they're like DeForest Buckner, Eric Armstead, Sheldon Day, uh, and I think D Ford were all on the field and they're like hands hands in the dirt. Like we're rushing the quarterback. I'm like whoa, what is happening? And then so <laughs> apparently uh, it, it was one play. So then uh, immediately after that play, I think it was a short completion. Garoppolo just dumped it right to to Trent Taylor uh, to start the to start the drill. And then as soon as the, the, before the second play, Kyle Shanahan got all the defensive linemen off the field. So to end Tuesday's practice, that's what that's what the 49ers did in their two minute drill. They had all five offensive linemen on the field, but they didn't have any pass rushers, obviously, to avoid anything catastrophic happening as Garoppolo comes back from that left knee injury. Um, so we were all surprised. And then Shanahan was was sort of shocked by it, too. He said that he instructed the defensive line to just sort of stand there and put their hands up, not actually rush the passer. But it, it, it's it's basically impossible to expect defensive linemen to, to line up in full team drills and not, you know, push the pocket a little bit, which they did. And, and no one got like close to Garoppolo or anything. Um, but it, it was it was close enough to where Shannon was like, all right, this this is a mistake. We need to get the defensive linemen off the field. So anyway, as as the two minute drive goes on, Garoppolo ends up throwing a touchdown pass to to Dante Pettis. I think it was I don't know like a twelve yard pass. Pettis settled down uh, in the middle of two defenders playing zone coverage uh, to to end the off season program. And and Shanahan basically said like we were you know we're down on personnel. We want to get Jimmy some two minute drill reps, and we wanted to end practice quickly. And so to get everyone the necessary reps, that's sort of why they had the defensive linemen on the field. But then Shanahan saw what they were doing. They weren't just standing there with their hands up. They were actually trying to push the pocket. So um, nothing bad happened. There were there was no catastrophic injury. Uh, it, it was all good from that standpoint. But it was just funny to to see that and sort of be on the sideline and look around being like, I think I think I'm hallucinating because I mean, it was really hot outside, too. But uh, yeah, it was just an interesting experience because no one expected that to happen. It sounds like you weren't the only one that had that reaction to it. No, I definitely <laughs> wasn't. The coaching staff. <laughs> I definitely wasn't. Um, so we, we spoke to Garoppolo after practice and, um, you know, he, he chatted a, a little bit about how comfortable he feels and, and uh, he's definitely going to be cleared. I would expect him at the start of training camp when the pads come on to to be full go for those 11 on 11 drills. And he, he said he's comfortable with the way the offense progressed and um, and all the all the new personnel sort of being worked into the system. And I think we're going to see some different wrinkles to the offense. I, I don't know exactly what they are at this point, because uh, you know, Debo Samuel missed the last couple of weeks with a with a hip injury. Jalen Hurd's been out with a knee injury. Uh, George Kittle sat out yesterday with, with a minor hip injury. Uh, Mike McGlinchey has been out this week because of, uh, he got platelet rich injections in his, uh, in his, uh, one of his knees. I'm not sure which one, but that was planned and he's going to be full go for training camp. And McGlinchey famously hasn't missed a single game dating back to, to middle school football. So, uh, I don't think there, there's any worry about him missing any time come training camp, but, um, I guess that sort of speaks to a broader theme and, and the sense that I'm getting being around the team. I know 
injuries have sort of dominated the discussion surrounding minicamp because, I mean, let's face it, there's not a lot of football stuff to really talk about during these padless practices, but we can pay attention to where guys are lining up, who's available, who isn't. And I think the the sense that I'm getting, and, and I think we've talked about this a little bit before, but with the new training staff being very progressive in terms of the way they view sports science and load management and things like that, just about all these injuries and, and keeping guys off the practice field is, is precautionary. And, and just about all of these guys are expected to be back for training camp. And I think it's clear the 49ers are prioritizing health rather than getting these practice reps because ultimately without pads, without going, you know, full speed, um, these are essentially like warmups. Like if, if you've been to a football game early and you've watched warmups, that's essentially what these practices are. There's not a whole lot to be gleaned. I mean, these practices are more competitive than those warmups are, obviously, but that's sort of like what this looks like. Um, and so the Niners are, are being extremely cautious with a number of these guys because they've dealt with injuries at, at such a, you know, like they, they've dealt with injuries as much as any team in the league the last two years. And they want to be sure that isn't a problem once the regular season rolls around. So if anybody's dealing with anything, it seems like they're taking extreme caution and just keeping these guys out. Yeah, and that makes sense. There's just not a lot. There, there's not a lot of reward up against the potential enormous risk, right? Like if they try and push Nick Bosa's hamstring, you're like, you got to get into OTAs. You got to get into minicamp. And all of a sudden he's dealing with this hamstring injury all year rather than get it healed sit out till training camp and then be, be fully ready when, when it really matters. It just, it makes a lot of sense. I don't think the 49ers are the only team doing this and they might be even more cautious though than, than some other teams. It's not something that I think people need to worry about uh, until camp. If, if they start having guys miss a ton of days in training camp, then that's when it really becomes a problem. Yeah. And, and I think really they're, they're only, a couple, maybe three or four guys who could start training camp on an injured list. Um, and I, I would think Quan Alexander might be one just because he's coming off the ACL tear that happened mid-October last year. Uh, so they might take things slowly with him, hoping to to get him fully ready in time for week one. So he might start, you know, he might miss the first week or two of camp and get ingratiated back a little bit slower than some of the other guys. Jarek McKinnon is another one. Uh, if the Niners were going to be cautious with him, I could see him starting the year on an injured list, similar to Alexander. Though Shanahan's opt- Kyle Shanahan's optimistic about getting McKinnon back for the start of training camp, and then there's Garrett Selleck, who recently had back surgery. Um, he hasn't been cleared uh, after suffering a concussion late last season either. But he also, you know, there's no concussion protocol during the off season, so. Um, but I, that, that's that's sort of irrelevant because the back injury is really the, the important issue when talking about Selig. And, and it sounds like his injury is something that could linger into August. And you wonder with the 49ers drafting Caden Smith, I think with Ross Dwelly sort of having kind of a nice training camp, uh, Levine Toy Lolo, who looks kind of like, I mean, he's six foot eight. He looks like DeForest Buckner, Eric Armstead playing tight end. Um, and obviously he has familiarity playing with the Atlanta Falcons under Kyle Shanahan previously. I think the 49ers have options at tight end if they don't, um, if they don't want to rush Selleck back and, you know, you hate to say it, but Selleck at this point in his career, entering a contract, you're being hurt. 
Um, I don't want to say the writing's on the wall, but it's not looking great for his prospects making the team uh, at this point, just given how much he's missed and his injury status and things like that. So, um, but other than that, I mean, you, you look at all these guys who have missed time, Fred Warner, um, you know, some others, I, I think the, the idea is that they're all going to be ready and, and full go at some point early in training camp. And, and ultimately that's the most important thing. Um, that, that's, a, that's, that matters a lot more than missing, missing, you know, OTAs and, and mandatory mini camp in the spring. One of the things that really jumped out to me yesterday was when Kyle Shanahan said that Quan Alexander, Jarek McKinnon, and Jimmy Garoppolo, he was optimistic basically that they'd be ready for day one of training camp. And that was something that I was keeping an eye on really all off season because it kind of felt a little like Quan Alexander might not be ready for the start of camp. And he may still not be, but it sounds like they're optimistic that he'll get a large portion of training camp in uh, what, what type of availability he has or what exactly he's able to do. And same thing for McKinnon It's obviously yet to be seen, but the fact they're optimistic that they'll be ready for some sort of activity on day one of camp, I think bodes well for their future and their availability by week one, which is, which is very, uh, which is a very good sign. I think. Yeah, that's the important thing. Um, we also got to talk to Nick Bosa for the first time yesterday since really he was introduced at that introductory press conference uh, or during the, the NFL draft. And uh, we hadn't spoken to him really since, you know, he apologized for all the social media stuff. Uh, and and then he got hurt. I, I think we probably would have talked to him sooner. But um, you know what? The team deals with the, the team isn't. Uh, put it this way. They're not dying to get injured guys out in front of the media. So, um, but getting Bosa to talk yesterday was notable. He said he was, he was really disappointed in himself. And, and, uh, he was, you know, he said, quote, I was worried when it happened. I was pretty down on myself, just couldn't stay on the field. But once I got with the guys and had some of the older guys come talk me up a little bit, it's been super helpful. And I think I'm going to be just fine. Uh, end quote. So, it sounds like talking to Bosa and, and asking him specifically how long he thinks it's going to take to to really just get back to form. And, and not that pass rushing is like riding a bike, but it's different from other positions in the sense that it's not reliant on chemistry with other players like a like, a, you know, maybe a quarterback and receiver would be. You know, it's 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 sort of like riding a bike where if you're rushing the passer, you're just sort of relying on your natural skills. And that, and that's something that Bose has done, you know, his whole football life. Right. So once right. he said he'll, it'll just take him probably a couple weeks of practice to really get back in the, in the swing of things. And he's going to go travel to South Florida. Uh, he's going to stick in Santa Clara for, for the next week with all the other rookies. Um, but after that, he's going to go uh, work out with his brother, Joey in South Florida, Fort Lauderdale, and and those two are are really prioritizing flexibility and things like that, injury prevention more so than than just sort of brute strength. And and if you look at Nick Bosa physically, he seems like he would be a very tightly wound, compact sort of athlete. Like if you lift weights, Kyle, I know you regularly lift weights. I'm jacked out of my mind, bro. Rocked up. Um, you you get you lift weights, you get very tight, right? You're not. You're not flexible. That's one of the things you sacrifice. Well, I, th- I think Joey and Nick are both sort of taking the opposite approach and and really honing on flexibility. And, and Nick sounds really determined to get the hamstring back to 100% and, and to prove 
that he is he can be a durable player and and I think he really takes the the knocks on him in terms of his durability to heart uh, and he wants to prove to everybody most notably his new teammates and coaching staff that that he can be a player relied upon to, to play a full season so um, in terms of the hamstring injury he's going to be ready to go at the start of training camp the key for him is just going to be not to aggravate anything and and it's tough to say like you miss all basically all of last season with a core muscle injury that required surgery. And then you get back healthy enough to, to do all your pre-draft stuff to fully participate in the combine. And then in one of your first practices with your new team, you strain a hamstring. I could see why Bosa would be so dispirited. Um, but at the same time, it's, it was a mild strain. I think, you know, like we mentioned, if, if it were in the middle of the season, I, I think Bosa would probably be practicing and playing and toughing it out you know, for now, the 49ers are going to be cautious and and just hope that he can be ready at the end of July. Right. Which makes sense. That's when they need him. And so there were some guys who played well, I thought over these last couple of days and, and, uh, and talking to, to people with the team, just to, just to sort of validate what we're seeing on the practice field, guys who get to watch, um, you know, all the practice cutups or all the practices, it sounds like, I mean, from what I saw, Akella Witherspoon played well, and I think that was validated by by people I spoke to with the team. Um, and and Witherspoon playing really well. You know, he had a number of pass breakups these these last couple weeks. Um, he really dominated guys like Richie James and, and some of the receivers sort of lower on the depth chart. And he looked a lot more like the player that we saw at the end of 2017 than the guy who struggled in 2018. Um, so that's positive for the 49ers. Obviously, Witherspoon is going to be a super important player for them. Tervarius Moore, uh, the defensive back, previously a cornerback who has moved back to safety this offseason. I know in previous pods, I've wondered aloud if his move to safety would be permanent or if he would move back to corner once Jimmy Ward came back from his uh, fractured collarbone. It sounds like the team is really optimistic about the way Moore has been playing. And, and, they, and I've been told that he looks much more natural at safety because that's a position obviously he's familiar with because that's where he played in college at Southern Mississippi. Um, and maybe, you know, I, I, I'm not going to sit here and say he's, he's been working with a third team. So that should be pointed out first. He, he hasn't been working with the second stringers or even the starters. And I think he's very clearly still behind um, Adrian Colbert and Jaquaski Tart and maybe even Anton Exum. But I think he's sort of in a position now where if he were to stay at safety and continue this trajectory he's on, we might see him in the mix for significant playing time uh, by the time the regular season starts. And, and so that's going to be something I'm watching because Moore is one of the most physically gifted defensive backs the 49ers have, right? Like he's, he ran a four, three. We've talked about a spider graph because we're both big spider graph guys. Um, and, and just sort of he, well, the type of prospect he was coming out, just super physically gifted. Um, and, and the question was, what position would he play? And the 49ers tried him at corner. Um, he wasn't terrible, but he wasn't very good either. And, and you could certainly see the steep learning curve that he was going through late last year. But I think he could find himself in the mix for serious playing time. And, and I don't know if that means as a starter or if that means um, somebody who's used on third downs when they bring an extra defensive back on the field and sort of play with three safeties, maybe more is that third safety. But I think at this point, it's it's fair to be optimistic about Moore's chances 
as a safety based on what we've seen and and what I've heard from from uh, people who have watched all of the practices. Um, that that change could be an interesting one, and if that works out, I know we spent a ton of time, you know, sort of grilling the 49ers for not addressing safety or or cornerback in the draft. If Moore's switch to safety turns out to be a good one and he earns playing time there, then that's that's a pretty big development for Robert Sala in that defense. Yeah, I think I think so. And I think that's my I think it's a small percentage, but I think that was always in the back of their minds that they have this guy at corner who, if in case of emergency break open glass, can play some safety. And he went back there for depth purposes when Ward went out during the offseason program. But with the the guys they have at that position and the lack of proven 16-game starter talent that they have, there's an opening. It might not be very big, but there's certainly an opening for a player like Moore who has all the physical talent in the world to step in and, and kind of grab ownership of that spot. Because if he's playing there and playing well, it, it's it's hard to argue that that Jimmy Ward, who's injury prone, or Adrian Colbert, who wasn't very good last year, uh, deserves starting over him if if he outplays them in camp. Yeah, agree hundred percent. There's just not a big enough. There's just not a big enough sample Correct. size of them being corrected. So yeah, w- without having like any real established options back there, you have to be open to the idea of somebody like Moore being able to come in and displace him. So that's that's something we will absolutely be keeping an eye on during training camp. Another guy that that I thought had a really good spring was Elijah Lee. Um, and with Fred Warder out and Quan Alexander, yeah. obviously, there are going to be a lot more reps for him. But he was the first team Mike linebacker throughout the spring. And the way the linebackers are going to be deployed this year, and we've talked about it before too, is that you know they're going to be three off-ball linebackers in base situations. So basically all those spots are interchangeable. And if you can play Mike, you can play Sam or Will. Um, so it's fair to assume, I mean, Fred Warner and Quan Alexander are going to hold two of those spots. And it could be that Lee is is the one with, is the third linebacker on the field in those situations. And he showed really well, he showed that he can cover pretty well throughout this for, throughout the spring. His knowledge of the defense is obviously good enough to where Robert Sala feels comfortable having him be the the green dot guy and and the one calling the signals in the huddle. So, you know, with Malcolm Smith sort of, you know, Malcolm Smith was was kind of in and out of things. Seemed like whatever lower leg injury that might have been bothering him last year sort of propped up a couple different times during the spring. And, and um, we haven't gotten to talk to him, but it just doesn't seem like Malcolm Smith has a, a starting spot or even um, – or even a roster spot nailed down at this point. So it wouldn't really surprise me if Elijah Lee ends up being that third linebacker, uh, just based on what we've seen so far. That wouldn't be a huge surprise. I'm I'm really fascinated now, though, that you said that, to see him and Dre Greenlaw kind of battle that out. And then obviously where Quan Alexander's at and his recovery from an ACL injury and how how that battle shakes out for either that temporary starting job or the the third linebacker job yeah and Greenlaw is another guy who who played well he obviously played well enough to to get basically all of his practice reps with the starters so as as a fifth round pick to come in and and play 
play yourself into that role, even with Alexander and Warner hurt. Uh, I think that's a positive sign. So I think you're right. I think I give Lee the, the, the advantage right now, just because this is his third year, essentially running the system. Right. Um, and, and the coaches are really high on him, but Greenlaw for sure has, will have every opportunity, maybe not this year, maybe going forward to, to earn a starting job. Um, another guy who stood out and I didn't really notice this because it's sort of hard to tell exactly who's playing well in the trenches, uh, without pads. And, um, but Nick Bosa said it, he was like, Eric Armstead has been the best defensive lineman that we have so far. Um, and I thought that was interesting, but it's also notable because with Armstead, obviously the injury stuff has propped up throughout his career, but, um, he's, he's typically a guy who plays really well in padless sessions, (laughs) right? And, um, you know, we, I, I remember his second season, he was just dominating training camp and, and looked like the best defensive player on the field. And then obviously he got hurt and wasn't quite the same. He was really good against the run last year. Uh, I think he only had three sacks, and you want more from him as a pass rusher. But um, to, to to know that Armstead is playing really well, and he was shuffled, you know, he plays inside, he plays outside, and base downs, he play, he's been playing outside, mostly because Bosa's been on the shelf with a hamstring. But Armstead playing well bodes well for the 49ers, obviously, and, and him entering the contract year uh, on his fifth-year option right now, I mean, I, him playing well it could be huge for for the defensive line because you know with so much attention being put on DeForest Buckner and D Ford, and um, and obviously Nick Bosa getting somebody like Armstead to play really well could be could be really important for the defense. Yeah, and if he finds a way to take a step up because he was really good against the run last year, and if he can combine that with more productivity as a pass rusher. All of a sudden, that's another weapon in this Niners defensive line that they didn't know they had. So even if he if he moves laterally, I think he's a he's a very good rotational player. But if there's another level he's going to get to in year five, that that makes the the 49ers defensive line even even more uh, interesting. I guess is the word I'm looking for. Interesting, uh, exciting going into the year. Intriguing, intriguing. Yeah, those are all those are all synonyms. Thank you. They're definitely all words. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> Another guy on the defensive line who, who played pretty well, particularly yesterday, Sheldon Day. Um, I think he mm. has the leg up right now on DJ Jones to be the starting nose tackle. Uh, and he's not your typical nose tackle in the sense that he's like 320 pounds and just sort of this this one gapping, um, you know, run stuffing behemoth of a human. He's he's really quick. He's really agile, and he's he's a guy who wins more with quickness than than brute brute strength. And he's been working with the starters in, in base situations at that nose tackle spot. And he's also stayed on the field in, in sub packages, which is notable considering how many interior pass rushers the 49ers have. Um, Sheldon Day looks earmarked for a starting job at this point. So I'm curious to see. He had a couple different plays. Uh, one where, where he just jetted into the backfield and stopped Tevin Coleman for a loss. And then like two plays later, he actually accidentally tackled Tevin Coleman, which is obviously a no, no in padless practices, but a a bunch of guys got tangled up, but Sheldon day has, has looked really good. And I think right now has to be considered the favorite to start at nose tackle over DJ Jones. So after deciding to move on from Earl Mitchell this offseason, I know there are questions about how the 49ers were going to handle that nose tackle spot. 
because really they only had DJ Jones as as the true as as the only other true nose tackle on the roster. But now we're we're sort of seeing Sheldon Day be more than just kind of a situational interior pass rusher. Uh, it looks like he's gonna he could be. I don't, you know, you don't, you don't want to call a nose tackle an every down option, but he looks like a nose who could be useful both against the run and the pass. Yeah. And again, that's such a, like there's a really good chance because if this Niners defensive line is deep, we've talked about that with the, with the Eagles and the Super Bowl they won a couple years ago is how deep and just relentless that defensive front was. If the Niners can develop something like that, I, I think it really mitigates some of the moves they didn't make in the secondary this year like they were just relying on bosa and ford to help their pass rush well if all of a sudden sheldon day and you're getting contributions from eric armstead now all of a sudden they have this really deep and effective defensive line rotation that makes them uh, a lot more dangerous than i think people think they'll be hey kyle we have an announcement to make Blue Wire has teamed up with Harry's razors to make sure our listeners are shaving comfortably. All of our listeners should go to harrys.com slash blue wire to save $10 on a virtual trial set, which includes a five blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel and a travel blade cover. You get all that for just $3 shipped right to your door. Enough with the cheap razors. It's totally worth trying Harry's. Harry's is fixed shaving by combining a simple, clean design with quality and durable blades at a fair price. Harry's founders were tired of paying for razors that were overpriced and overdesigned. Harry's bought a world-class blade factory in Germany that's been making quality blades for over 95 years. Join the 10 million people who have tried Harry's. Claim your trial offer by going to harrys.com slash blue wire. All of Harry's blades come with a 100% quality guarantee. If you don't love your shave, let them know and they'll give you a full refund. Again, Make sure you go to harrys.com slash bluewire to redeem your razor for $3. Also, when you're selling online, getting orders can be a real pain. That's why you need shipstation.com. It's the fastest, easiest, and most affordable way to manage and ship your orders. No matter where you're selling, Amazon, Etsy, or your own website, ShipStation brings all your orders into one simple interface. ShipStation helps get your orders out quickly, save money on shipping costs, and keep your customers happy. And right now, Candlestick Chronicles listeners can try ShipStation for free for 60 days when you use promo code BLUE. There's absolutely no risk. You can start your free trial without even entering your credit card info. ShipStation works with all the major carriers, including USPS, FedEx, UPS, even Amazon Fulfillment. You can compare and choose the best shipping solution for you and your customer. No wonder ShipStation is the number one choice for of online sellers. You'll ship more in less time with the best rates available. Just visit ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in BLUE. That's ShipStation.com, then enter the promo code BLUE. ShipStation.com. Make ship happen. So, Kyle, Jimmy Garoppolo, he's, he's going to work with Tom House, the, the noted... What? The noted quarterback guru. Is that is that a Biederman exclusive? No, it's it's absolutely not. <laughs> uh, yeah, Tom, Tom House has worked with Tom Brady in the past, Drew Brees, Carson Palmer, a bunch of other guys uh, down in Southern California. So Jimmy Garoppolo said after practice that he's going to spend uh, part of the next six weeks sort of bouncing around, but um, he's he spends a lot of his offseason time in L.A. So he's he's going to work with Tom House, who I think is is – located or, or works out at USC or or close by there um, and some some of his 
49ers pass catchers are going to join him in those workouts, but Garoppolo wouldn't say which ones because it's a big secret. Apparently, um, Jimmy likes to uh, to keep secrets, and that's fine. Like I, I'm not going to hold it against him to I am want to withhold you know information to, to to the point where he can live his life without sort of being under the microscope. But I also find it a little bit funny. Like, come on, man. Like Dante Pettis is from LA. If if Pettis is going to be there, if you say it, it's not going to like infringe on everybody's privacy. But right, <laughs> it, it, it's sort of that. That's just how Garoppolo operates. And I guess it it kind of makes sense because maybe he has his guard up uh, because of what what he ran into last uh, July, if you remember sure. uh, yeah. his his dinner company and and the uh, the social media posts she made surrounding that that dinner uh, experience. <laughs> that that they shared together. If you don't know what dinner I'm talking experience. about, um, you can you can Google Jimmy Garoppolo dinner date and then see what comes up. Um, but yeah, I I mean, it, it's funny. Like when when anytime this has happened a lot before too. Like when Colin Kaepernick, I want to say it was what 2014 when he uh, went to work out with Kurt Warner and and his crew in Arizona. It was like a big story. Like Colin Kaepernick's going to change his game and work on his flaws and spend his time with Kurt Warner. And that's a huge deal. What's Kurt Warner going to think about Colin Kaepernick's game, blah, 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 blah. And we're, we're, like anytime a quarterback works with a quote unquote quarterback guru, I think it's like one of the more blown out of proportion storylines you can have in an off season. So, right. Um, who knows? Maybe, maybe Tom house completely unlocks a new side of Jimmy Garoppolo. We haven't seen before. Uh, but I think it's just going to be something to where, I mean, Players aren't allowed to work with coaches. It's 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 in the CBA. They're not allowed to work directly with their own coaches uh, between mini camp and training camp. So Tom House is is highly regarded. Jimmy Garoppolo has lots of money, and so that there the connection there is that, um, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo is going to work with one of the best quarterback coaches he can before training camp. So he's ready to go, and and I think that's that's good news because. Um, not that Jimmy Garoppolo couldn't get better on his own or work with receivers on his own, but having, having a coach there who, who might provide a, a different perspective or a different set of eyes than what Garoppolo is used to could maybe help him improve some things that maybe Kyle Shanahan hasn't seen or whatnot. But I, I'm not sure that we're going to learn a whole lot about that just given the secrecy that Garoppolo sort of operates under. But, um, yeah, I, that's... That was a big story coming coming out of uh, Garoppolo's media availability yesterday was was revealing that he's going to go work with Tom House. It was really funny watching everybody tweet that at once. I was I, I didn't think it was a big deal, and then I checked Twitter, and then all my my beat writer brethren sent out the exact same tweet within like two minutes of each other. It was great. It was really really fun. <laughs> Is there anything else? Any any other questions you have about? mini camp and and some some things i can lend over to training camp i think i'm so let's say there's a quote-unquote surprise in training camp like maybe somebody getting starting reps or somebody just playing really well or somebody who maybe we didn't think was going to make the team is all of a sudden in the running to to grab a roster spot is there anything that happened in otas or mini camp that would make you say like Oh yeah, that wasn't that big of a surprise. Or oh, we should have seen this coming because X, Y, and Z happened in OTAs or minicamp. 
Am I making sense? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I think the first thing that comes to mind is Jordan Matthews. Um, hmm. He's been he's been pretty good and he's done a lot more work with the first team than I expected. And I came into this sort of thinking he would be, you know, the Jeremiah Tauchu of, of receivers, right? Um, just somebody who has the pedigree of being a highly drafted prospect who has shown flashes of, of quality production in the NFL, but you know, for whatever reason, injuries or uh, you know, getting shuffled from team to team, might have hindered his career, but you know, Matthews is is aside from Marquise Goodwin, like really the most veteran receiver the 49ers have at the moment. Right. Um, and his size and his versatility really stands out among that group because you look at you look at the team or the receiving core specifically, and you could sort of pigeonhole where guys fit whether it's X, F, or Z, sort of based on their skill sets, right? Like Trent Taylor is obviously a slot guy. Marquise Goodwin is is going to be mostly an X guy. Um, Debo Samuel is going to be a Z. We don't really know what Jalen Hurd's going to be, but I asked Kyle Shanahan, and, and he's going to be mostly a Z and an F. So that Pierre Garçon role and, and in the slot. But Hurd hasn't practiced since rookie minicamp in, in early May. But um, I think Jordan Matthews, just just given his experience, given his versatility, given his size, he's he's obviously a lot bigger than any of the other 49ers receivers except for Jalen Hurd. He looks like somebody who I I think has a, it, it's his roster spot to lose, I guess, is the best way I could say it. Wow. And, um, you know, I, I think his his emergence or his steadiness might be putting a lot of pressure on Kendrick Bourne, who, you know, obviously was a 49ers leading receiver last year. And I think, I mean, I think those numbers are mostly a product. Not a high Yeah, bar. I think those numbers are mostly a product of Bourne being available because, you know, Marquise Goodwin was hurt and Dante Pettis was hurt. Um, well, hey, remember the best ability. Availability. Availability. Have we worked yeah. that into every podcast we've recorded over the last like two months? Because I feel like we have. I think it's, if it's not 100%, it's, it's, well, okay, good. Well, it's an important thing to note that um, being available is important in football. Um, but yeah, I think to, to answer your question, Jordan Matthews overtaking Kendrick Bourne is, is would qualify as something that I didn't necessarily expect just because Bourne is, this is his third year in the system and he's been, you know, productive relative to the rest of the receiving group. Um, so Matthews as a former second round pick is somebody who had 800 receiving yards and and I think ATDs in his first three seasons or something like that. Him making the team at this point, based on what we've seen in the spring, wouldn't really surprise me, which which you go back and ask me when he signed in March, I said that would have been surprising just because uh, the last couple of years of his career have, haven't really been all that productive and, and he wasn't nearly the player that he was with Philadelphia. Right. Uh, other ones, man, I don't know. I mean, that's that's the thing. And I know we said it earlier this week, this week yeah and i didn't i didn't mean to like no no, no. There, the spot, there's but. just not there's just not a ton of stuff to really glean from um right from minicamp aside from like where guys are lining up and and who's healthy and who's not but um the injury stuff's notable and and like we said the fact that the fact that these guys are being held out from practice i don't think as is as big of a deal as as it's being made out to be i think it's just sort of an obvious talking point in the off season because there isn't a whole lot going on aside from that um right. do we uh it, to to wrap this up do do we want to 
offer up any Warriors predictions like we did last week? Or sorry, earlier this week? I'm stick I'm sticking with my Raptors by twenty five. Raptors by twenty five. <laughs> are are you are you like reverse like, jinxing? Felt, Is that felt, the deal? No no, it just felt like at the end of at the end of last game, I thought the Warriors were out of gas. But then Nick Nurse called those back to back timeouts. And the Warriors got stops defensively. They were flying around on defense, and Clay Thompson and Steph Curry hit hit some big shots down the stretch. Obviously, pretty big and shots. They 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 some decently big size shots, and <laughs> and they just they they barely pulled it out. Like they outscored Toronto, I think, by thirty six from the three point line, and they won right. by one. So I, I just it felt like everything went right for Golden State. Nothing really went right for right. Toronto, and and I, I just I, just the matchup. I think I think Toronto is just a, a bad matchup for Golden State. Yeah, at this point in particular, I, I agree with you. I think Toronto is a bad matchup for Golden State. The Warriors are obviously weak at the center spot with Demarcus Cousins coming back from that quad injury. Kevon Looney, I mean. All the credit in the world to Kevon Looney who's playing his ass off despite that chest and shoulder injury, but he's he's not as good as as Serge Ibaka right now. Like if you look at Marcus All and Serge Ibaka, those guys are just killing the Warriors. And then the other guys, you know, Andre Iguodala isn't shooting well. Sean Livingston hasn't been particularly good. If the 49ers or if the 49ers, if the Warriors are gonna win game six, they're gonna need a lot from Iguodala. Uh I'm on my way to the game. That's sort of why I'm 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 hurrying out right now. But I do think, and I told this to you before we started recording, I think this is going to be one of those games, uh, just given the fact that it's the last game ever at Oracle Arena that you're talking about, one of the the best runs in NBA history. I just can't see the Warriors going 0-3 in the finals at Oracle Arena, even though the Raptors are clearly the better team right now with Kevin Durant out. Um, I just think it's sort of like an emotionally an emotional buzzsaw game, you know, like we see it all the time in the NFL, right? right? If there's, if there's a bad team playing at home on a Monday night and they really need the win, even if they're playing a good team, they might punch above their weight. I think there's going to be so much emotion in that building tonight that the Warriors are going to punch above their weight, which I know is insane to say because they've been a juggernaut the last five years, but right now they would have to punch above their weight to beat the Raptors in, in game six. And I, and I think they can because, like I said, the law of averages to me just I, I can't see the Warriors going 0-3 in the finals at Oracle even without Durant. And we haven't really seen a, a dominant Clay Thompson performance yet in these finals. And um game six clay has has been a thing. So maybe we get a game <laughs> six clay performance tonight. And uh and I think that would make a lot of sense. And if you end up getting like you know, 70 points from your, from your backcourt tonight from Steph Curry and Clay Thompson. I, I think that's possible because those guys are going to be chucking. Uh, I think the Warriors can I pull it so. out, particularly if, if the Raptors ancillary players, you know, Danny Green, uh, Kyle Lowry, Fred Van Vliet, if those guys don't shoot well, then I think the Warriors do have a shot uh, to win tonight just because of all those factors that I mentioned. But game seven in Toronto would be extremely, extremely tough. Uh, just given the Warriors fuel tank at this point without Durant, but I'm picking the Warriors. You can have the you can have the Raptors by 25. If I, I reserve the right to flip my prediction, if the Warriors come out tonight in the We Believe jerseys, I don't think they will. 
I think they're wearing the town jerseys. I, I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't think they. Were I either. saw. I think I saw a video of of shoot around yesterday, and they had the town logo on uh, on center court. So I think they're going with the town uh, tonight. Okay. Um, we'll see. Cool. Very important development, though. Uh, all right. With that, let's wrap it up. Thank you guys for listening to Candlestick Chronicles. As always, please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. We are on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. Uh, we will talk to you guys. I think at some point next week, we'll come up with uh, with something interesting to to say following the the conclusion of mandatory mini camp previewing training camp starting in six weeks maybe we'll get a guest or someone interesting we'll figure all that out but uh in the meantime we'll talk to you guys next week enjoy the nba finals and enjoy your father's day weekend shout out to all the dads out there uh we'll talk to you we'll talk to you guys later Did you know that most vitamin D3 supplements come from sheep's wool? I'm Kat, founder of Ritual. We're making traceability the new standard for the supplement industry. When I was pregnant, I couldn't find a multivitamin I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested, and clean label project certified. Oh, and our vitamin D3? It comes from sustainably harvested lichen from England, not sheep. Trace for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com slash podcast.